good morning and welcome to St. Jude's. It's a fine, fantastic day we're going to have today. And what a great opportunity we have to come together to worship the Lord and start this great, beautiful day as a community of believers in hearing his word. So today we are looking at um, John's Gospel, the passage that was just read for us. And what we'll see is that Jesus claims to be equal with God the Father. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I often find myself being a bit of a couch critic when it comes to watching TV. Particularly when I watch the disastrous season that the Sydney Swans have been having this year. Or when I see the world's number one batsman go out for a golden duck. I sit there in judgment thinking that they surely should have done better. But who am I to make such critical judgments? And then on top of this, there's plenty of TV shows out there that encourage the audience to judge every move that the contestants make. One show I've been watching recently is called Alone Australia. Uh, If you haven't seen it, I I highly recommend it. Uh, There's some very quirky characters on it, but there's also this really solid Christian guy who who displays his faith um, in Jesus whilst enduring absolute hardship. Uh, For those who haven't seen the show before, it's based on the coast of Tasmania. It rains about 250 days in the year. There are about 10 contestants, and they are separated by impassable terrain. They are told to survive as long as possible, and the person who survives the longest wins. But when I watch this show, I often found myself judging all the moves that the contestants make. Kind of like, oof, I probably wouldn't have built my shelter there, or I might have tied it in that, tie, uh, that trap a little bit tighter, or uh, I would have gone hunting first before I built my shelter. <laughs> Almost as if I knew anything about surviving alone in the wilderness. And when I saw a contestant leave within one or two days of being out there, I was just like, why did you even go on the show? Surely I could have survived longer than that. But I remember there's particularly this quirky lady that I judged. She wouldn't last more than a couple of days. But she actually ended up being one of the longest-lasting contestants on the show. Sometimes we judge others and try to put them into our own perspective or our own way of thinking, that we think that they should do this better. They should do things like we do or act the way that we want them to do. Unfortunately, this is also how we often approach Jesus. I know I am certainly guilty of doing this. Sometimes I can judge Jesus according to my own preconceived ideas of what he should be like. I judge his teachings. And I only respond to those that agree with my already formed lifestyle. And this is exactly what we see the Jews doing in today's passage. They make a judgment call about Jesus, a correct judgment call that he's equal with God. But because this judgment doesn't fit into their lifestyle, into their preconceived idea of who God is, 
they respond incorrectly. They respond with murderous opposition towards him. Now we're just coming out of a great miracle that Jesus performed. And it's rich with symbolism. The healing of the lame man at the pool provides physical evidence for Jesus' authority and power to heal. In Jewish Jewish tradition, these infirmities were seen as curses or afflictions placed on the individual due to sin, either his own sin or sin of an ancestor or of the community at large. By Jesus healing this man, it shows that he has the power to reverse the effects of humanity's sin. The miracle shows that Jesus fulfills a prophecy, especially the one in Isaiah, which says that the lame man shall leap like deers. And then in today's passage, we read in verse 18 that the Jews make a judgment on Jesus' miracle. They rightly judge that Jesus is making himself to be equal with God. Because that's exactly what he is doing. Performing a miracle that would show his equality with God. And how did the Jews respond to this? We see that they persecuted him and they sought all the more to kill him. Now it's important to understand and get a glimpse of the Jewish mindset. From birth, the idea of there only being one God was hardwired into them and was interwoven into the very fabric of their society. Uh, This comes from the law given to them and uh, Yahweh's continued repetition of I am the Lord God Almighty that we see within the Old Testament. There is also a rich history of the Jews being severely punished for worshipping idols and not recognising Yahweh being the only God. Most notably in recent history for them was their exile into Babylonian captivities. Now, you could probably say that the Jews are thinking that Jesus was trying to lead them into idolatry by worshipping him as equal to God. And in so doing, he would probably bring God's judgment and wrath upon the Jewish people again. So it's probably better that they tried to get rid of him. They made a judgment about Jesus' claim and chose to respond instead with murderous opposition. Now, our response to judgments is very important. We judge things all the time. Uh, For an example, you could say when you're cooking a piece of chicken and you think it's a bit pink, you make a judgment call. Should I eat that or not? And I remember uh, in first year, I was chatting with one of my friends. He was in his final year at college, and he was applying for a student minister, uh, an assistant minister position. And there was a position that came up for him that he really suited him, the role. But he wasn't going to go for the interview, as he had heard mostly negative things about the minister. The minister has had a reputation of being a bit of an arrogant, proud, strong-headed, and a bit heartless. But most of this reputation comes from his interaction on social media, particularly on Facebook posts and blogs. 
So I convinced my friend to at least go to the interview and meet with the minister. So at the very least, he could affirm his already preconceived judgment or make a new one. And my friend took on my advice. And now he's working alongside that minister in a position he's extremely happy with. He gets along well with the ministry staff and his personal faith in ministry is flourishing. My friend, just like the Jews, had made a response to his judgment call of a person. But the beautiful thing about today's passage is that Jesus, in his mercy, in in his love and his compassion, responds to the Jews' murderous opposition. He didn't have to respond. He could have just walked away. The, The Jews clearly understood the point Jesus was making, that he is equal with God. But instead, in his compassion, Jesus explains to the Jews how he is equal with God the Father, And he expands their understanding of one God. And this teaching is later taken up by Jesus' own disciples like Thomas, who says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And in his explanation, Jesus provides the Jews with how they ought to have correctly responded. The first response Jesus gives to the Jews is that there is absolute unity between him and God the Father. In verse 19 he says that the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Notice how it doesn't say that the Son does similar things to the Father or that he copies the Father. It says instead that the Son can do nothing on his own accord. The Father and the Son are united in their will. This will we see is bound in the love the Father has for his Son. In verse 20 there is an indication that there is no withholding from the Father and the Son as the Father shows him all that he himself is doing. There are no secrets. There are no divided wills. Jesus is displaying a close, intimate relationship with God. Here we can see Jesus laying down some of the foundations of Trinitarian theology. At this moment, all we can see is one God, Father and Son. But some scholars have suggested that the love that binds them is the Holy Spirit. There are obviously clearer passages in the New Testament that would point to the triunity of God. But in this passage, in in this response to the Jews, Jesus is establishing his oneness with the Father. A oneness bound in love. And that love is the reason why the Father wants to see the Son honoured, wants to see Jesus honoured. Because of his great love for Jesus, for his son. Now this might not quite do justice to the concept, but consider an overly proud parent who is so in love with their child 
that all they can do is talk about what their child is doing. They constantly bring up their child's achievements. They probably have all their child's trophies on the wall and their artworks displayed on the fridge. Where does this come from? It comes from a genuine love and adoration for their child. And they want others to see and experience that love and adoration that they have for their child. In a similar way, God the Father wants his son to be loved and adored as he loves and adores his son. And that is why he's given him the highest place above his creation, the authority to give life and the authority to judge. In verses 21 to 30, we see that the Father has given two key roles to Jesus. The first is the authority to give life. For just like the Father, Jesus himself is life. The second role given to Jesus is authority to execute judgment. In this role of judgment, Jesus and the Father's will is still united as he can do nothing on his own. He doesn't seek his own will, but that of the Father who sent him. We see that Jesus' judgment is aligned with God the Father, and it is just. Now the Jews have responded to Jesus with murderous opposition. Jesus, having given his explanation of his claim, also provides them with how they should have responded. The Jews were using their already self-formed lifestyle and preconceived ideas to honour the Father through the observance of the laws and traditions that they have established. But what they needed to do instead is simply to honour the Son, is to honour Jesus. Because the only way to truly honour the Father is to honour the Son. We see in verse 24, to hear Jesus' words and to believe in the Father who sent him. And in doing this, they would pass from death into life. They would see the error of their ways that surrounds them in death. And instead, they would live by Jesus' life-giving words that would hold them into eternity. Now, having given his response to the Jews, explaining how he is in fact equal with God the Father and expanding the Jews' understanding of the oneness of God, Jesus kind of flips the tables on them. He turns the tables. They were judging him. And they're responding to their own judgments of Jesus. But that's not correct. That's not the correct order of things. It is, it is Jesus that will judge them and not the other way around. Often, just like the Jews, we can find ourselves approaching Jesus from the perspective of our own desires and needs. We try to get Jesus and squeeze him into our already self-formed lifestyle, our preconceived ideas of what Jesus is or what his role should be in our life. 
instead of asking, what do I think of Jesus? What we need to be asking is, what does Jesus think of me? Instead of asking, what do I think is good or bad for me? We need to ask, what is God's view of what is the best life for me to pursue? Instead of trying to conform Jesus to our lifestyle, we need to hear his life-giving words and trust and follow him. Now, all of us, whether Christian or not, have areas that we struggle with when it comes to Jesus' teachings. One such teaching that I I sometimes struggle with is that simply being a good person or doing what is right doesn't earn you salvation. And I think of some of my friends and family who are good, lovely people, yet they do not know Jesus' words or believe in him. And you you might be looking at verse 29 there and thinking, isn't that exactly what the passage says? Those who do good will have life and those who do evil will have judgment. But if you take that passage out of context, yes, you can conclude that. But in the context of verse 24 and then later in verse 40, Jesus says that life is only given to those that come to him, that come to Jesus. And later on in John's Gospel, he states that the work of God is that you believe in him who he has sent. So we see that real faith in Jesus is itself the work that God requires. And such faith, when genuine, bears fruit in practical obedience to Jesus. It's not about our good works. It's about our faith. For only Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. Now, as Christians, we ought to have confidence in the knowledge that God is at work through Jesus' life-giving word. We need to think about how we can center our lives around and joyfully submit to Jesus, remembering that he is the judge and not us. What right do we have to judge the judge and his life-giving word? We need to believe and trust in his word, remembering that the only way to pass from death to life now in the present and in the future to come is to honour Jesus as Lord and God. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the beauty of your creation and this beautiful, wonderful day that you have given us, Lord. We pray as we enjoy um, the gifts and blessings that you have given us, we pray that we'll be reminded of you, we'll be reminded of Jesus, of his life-giving words. Help each and every one of us, Lord, to shape our lives around you, around Jesus, and come to him and to trust 
and to believe in his words instead of trying to conform and twist your words to fit our lifestyles. Point out the sin within each of our hearts, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.